This morning we continue our Unraveled series as we listen to stories that invite us to think about how God meets us in those times when our lives or the world unravels around us. Um, today our scripture reading is from the book of Exodus and we're going to hear the story about the birth of Moses. Uh, Moses was born during a time of uh, slavery and state-sanctioned uh, violence and genocide. And in our passage this morning, we're going to hear about a group of women who uh, really resist this violence and work in their own ways and together um, to preserve Moses' life and to help uh, the liberation of all the Hebrew people. And then in our second reading, we're going to hear an excerpt from the op-ed that Representative John Lewis wrote and that was published uh, last week by the New York Times on the day of John Lewis's funeral. Um, and we're going to hear a recording of this that was done by Morgan Freeman and aired on the evening of his funeral on MSNBC's The Last Word with Lawrence O'Donnell. So let us listen together for the word of God. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, verse 10. Now a new king arose over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase, and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him but if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, 
she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him from the water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Like so many young people today, I was searching for a way out, or some might say a way in. And then I heard the voice of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on an old radio. He was talking about the philosophy and discipline of nonviolence. He said, we are all complicit when we tolerate injustice. He said, it is not enough to say it will get better by and by. He said, each of us has a moral obligation to stand up, speak up, and speak out. When you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. Democracy is not a state. It is an act. And each generation must do its part to help build what we call the beloved community, a nation and world society at peace with itself. Ordinary people with extraordinary vision can redeem the soul of America by getting in what I call good trouble, necessary trouble. Voting and participating in the democratic process are key. The vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent you have in a democratic society. You must use it because it is not guaranteed. You can lose it. You must also study and learn the lessons of history because humanity has been involved in this soul-wrenching existential struggle for a very long time. People on every continent have stood in your shoes through decades and centuries before you. The truth does not change. And that is why the answers worked out long ago can help you find solutions to the challenges of our time. Continue to build union between movements stretching across the globe because we must put away our willingness to profit from the exploitation of others. Will you join me in prayer? O oh, gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In his op-ed piece, Representative John Lewis, the longtime congressman and civil rights giant, encouraged all of us as Americans to continue to fight for justice and democracy. 
He called on us to get into good trouble, necessary trouble. And he reminded us to look at the lessons of history and to learn from those who've come before. Well, certainly John Lewis is one of those people that we can learn from. Just a wonderful leader and someone who embodied nonviolent resistance throughout his life. He also was a man of deep faith. He was raised in uh, the church. He uh, spent his childhood preaching to the chickens in his backyard. He preached his first public sermon at the age of 15. And he went to college at the American Baptist Theological Seminary in Nashville. And it was there that he studied uh, the Gospels and the nonviolent resistance of Jesus. There that he studied the philosophy of nonviolence and took it on as his own. I think for Lewis, if he was here with us this morning and if he had heard the scripture that we read from Exodus, he would have said that those women got into good trouble, into necessary trouble. As our story takes place this morning, it is in a time of deep oppression and slavery. As we heard, there was a new pharaoh that came to town and or came into power and he was afraid. He was afraid of the Hebrew people who were different from him and he was afraid that they were going to grow and that there was going to be a rising up and that they would uh, escape. And so he forced them into hard labor. But even that slavery wasn't enough to um, stop Pharaoh's fear of losing power. And so as uh, the group, as the Hebrews continued uh, to grow in, in population, he issued an order for genocide. And he called on the midwives of the Hebrew people to uh, kill the first, uh, the boys that were born. Well, even though he might have been afraid, um, he had no idea what he was going to come up against in the characters of Shifra and Pua, two women who are among the first people in Scripture to practice nonviolent resistance. Now, I can only imagine these women's fears as they get this order from Pharaoh. But their allegiance to God was higher than their allegiance to Pharaoh, and they uh, had the conscience that told them they could not go through with this killing. And so they used their shrewdness and their creativity, and they came up with a plan, putting their own bodies on the line. So as they attended to the Hebrew women, uh, they came back and knowing that Pharaoh wasn't going to be attending a birth anytime soon, he told them that, uh, they told them that the women were too vigorous and gave birth too soon before they got there. It was of great risk to themselves and with great courage that they outwitted the Pharaoh, acting in a way that chose life, even in the midst of a call to death. Good trouble. Necessary trouble. Well, Pharaoh's fear only grew. And so he gave the order again, not just to the midwives, but to all the Egyptians to kill every boy born to the Hebrew people. And that was the order when Moses was born. But here again, we hear the stories of these women offering resistance. First, a mother whose love uh, drives her to hide Moses and then to hatch a plan for his well-being. And so she makes this ba basket lined with uh, pitch, but also I'm sure with her tears and with her hopes. 
and places it in the reeds where she hopes he will be found. There's the sister who's watching as Pharaoh's daughter comes down. And Pharaoh sees this, Pharaoh's daughter sees this baby and she is moved with compassion. It says she knows that he's a Hebrew baby. And at that point, she calls for his care and uses her place and her station in society to protect him. In this way, she lives out the very definition of an ally, someone who uses their privilege uh, to help those who don't have the same privilege, who are vulnerable. At that point, the sister comes out and uh, asked Pharaoh's daughter, do you need a nurse for the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter says yes. And so the sister goes and gets her mother and brings her back. And Moses's mother nurses her own child until he's old enough to return to Pharaoh's household where he lives. And eventually he liberates the Hebrew people. Moses is able to live, but only because of the acts of resistance and courage of these women, each of whom chose to stand up to Pharaoh's power in their own particular way, in their own sphere of influence. The midwives that were in charge of helping birth used uh, their place and their location to protect the babies. The mother used her maternal instincts to save her son at all costs, the sister became a companion and a witness and stayed with Moses and stood up and spoke out as soon as he needed the help. And Pharaoh's daughter used her own uh, station and her own uh, privilege to ensure uh, Moses' safety. These are ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Ordinary people getting into good trouble, into necessary trouble. Well, as we think about our country today and our world today, we certainly have our share of pharaohs. But more than that, we have a society where white supremacy and racism, where classism and xenophobia, where homophobia and violence are the powers that be. They are the death-dealing structures that keep people enslaved and hold the most vulnerable down. But at the same time, we live in a world where we have a faith and we have leaders and we have opportunities to resist and to choose life and to act for change and to get into that good trouble, that necessary trouble. As John Lewis said, democracy is not a state, it is an act. And each generation must do its part to help build the beloved community. And so it is our turn to build. And there are a lot of ways. Now, all of us are not going to be a John Lewis. We're not going to all be Congress people. We're not going to all be on the front lines of every march. But we still can follow his example, and we can follow the examples of Shifra and Pua, of Moses' mother and sister and Pharaoh's daughter, and do our part, our small acts of change in, in our own spheres of influence. Now, right now, there are so many things that we can do. Katie touched on one of them at the start of her children's sermon, where she um, talked about the need for listening. And really to listen to the stories and the needs of those who are most vulnerable. 
This is something that we can all do and that we can do from our own homes as we read and as we dialogue and as we listen to people whose stories are different from us. But we also have to act. And in times of COVID, especially right now, we've got to be creative, like the women in our scripture story. One of the things that John Lewis uh, advocated was to continuing to work for democracy. And one of his um, big uh, goals throughout uh, his life was to preserve and protect and to give the right to vote. And so I know that um, there are some of us in our congregation that are working hard on this right now. And in fact, our social justice and mission team has made this a priority for the fall as we um, prepare for an election. Uh, we have folks sending out postcards encouraging people to vote. Our political parties are looking for volunteers to call and uh, help encourage people to vote and help get people registered to vote. We, of course, can uh, put our bodies on the line and we can do civil disobedience and show up at protests and demonstrations, whether that's the ones downtown, uh, whether it's um, holding up signs here in Lake Oswego, uh, but continuing to offer that visible presence and uh, putting our bodies on the line is a way that we can resist and stand up to the powers that be. We also can just take action in our very local communities and in our schools and in our cities. Um, this week at Respond to Racism, some of the students from the school district uh, made a case for why um, school resource officers should be removed from the schools. And so paying attention to issues like these, or that's the same conversation that we're having in Tigard as well, or uh, hiring practices, or um, the arrest rates and pullover rates for police departments, getting, getting aware of these things and um, getting active on these things in our local community are ways that we can continue to resist and to um, seek God's love and justice. Of course, we can call our representatives. Um, we can also resist with our dollars and support those organizations that are working for change, those organizations and institutions that have uh, practices of justice that we value. There are so many other ways to uh, resist in this time. I know you all have uh, more ideas and more creative ways but all of them are needed and all of them are born out of a sense of love and the love of God that compels us as it did for John Lewis, as it did for Moses' family uh, to work for the most vulnerable and to choose life even in the midst of death. As ordinary people, we can do extraordinary things like John Lewis, like Shifra and Pua, like Moses' mom, like the wall of moms, like Pharaoh's daughter, each of us can use our voice, our power, our privilege uh, to stand up for others. So may we risk good trouble, necessary trouble, to seek life, to help the most vulnerable, and to continue to work for God's peace and justice in our world. Amen.